Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. As a parent, you say you will do anything to keep your children safe. But there are some limitations to that sentiment. On October 14, 1970, a woman died while in a criminal asylum for doing the unthinkable to keep her son safe in the war. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Leonardo Cianciulli's life was, from the beginning, one of distress and violence. Her mother, Emilia, was raped in the early 1890s and, when she found herself pregnant as a result, decided to marry her rapist, Leonardo's father, to save face in the community of Montella Avellino, Italy. Because of how Leonardo was conceived, once she made her entrance into the world on April 18, 1893, or 94, her mother became extremely emotionally abusive even after leaving her father and remarrying. This led to Leonardo's attempt to take her own life twice while she was still a young child. In 1917, she married registry office clerk Rafael Pensardi, despite the fact that her family had already arranged her marriage to another man. Furious with her disobedience, Melia placed a curse on her daughter and her new marriage. In 1821, the pair moved to Rafael's native town of Laria Puntenza, where, just six years later, Leonardo was arrested and imprisoned on charges of fraud. Once released, the pair moved to Lacedonia, Avellino, where, in 1930, their home was destroyed in a historic earthquake. Completely homeless, the pair then moved to Correggio, where Leonardo, who had by this point suffered a number of miscarriages and loss of her young children on top of her other misfortunes, opened up a small soap shop and became a well-loved and well-respected member of the neighborhood community, seeing good fortune for the first time since that dreaded curse. Soon, she established a reputation as a successful businesswoman and, on the side, started telling fortunes and hypnotizing clients with her self-proclaimed special powers to make dreams come true. 
As she settled into her new life, the curse was never far from the back of her mind. According to the stories, Leonardo had at some point visited a Romany fortune teller to try and get some clarity on her mother's curse. The woman told her, in your right hand, I see prison and your left, a criminal asylum, and claimed that all of her children would die at a young age, a fact that seemed to ring true considering, out of 17 pregnancies, Leonardo had found herself with just four surviving children. So the fact that she was extremely protective of these four children should come as no shock to any of us. In 1939, her son, Giuseppe Pensardi, the eldest and well-known favorite of her children, announced that he was going to enlist in the Italian army so that he, like most boys his age, could aid in the World War II efforts. Leonardo was horrified. And soon her fear and her deep belief in the superstitious would earn her the moniker as the most infamous female serial killer in the 20th century, the soap maker of Correggio. It's unclear where Leonardo got her idea, but with her son off in the dangerous war, she knew she had to do something to keep him safe, to protect him at all costs. How did she plan to do that? By making human sacrifices. The first victim was a woman named Faustina Setti, a lifelong spinster who came to Leonardo to ask for help finding a husband, to which Leonardo responded that there was a very suitable man living in Pola. Telling her to keep the information to herself, Leonardo persuaded Faustina to write letters and postcards to anyone who would notice her absence so she could mail them off once she got to her new suitor. Just before making her final departure, Faustina came to visit Leonardo one last time and accepted a glass of wine from her beloved matchmaker. The drugs inside soon took over. Leonardo swung her axe and dragged the body of her former customer to the closet where she would cut it up into nine parts and gather the blood into a basin. According to her own official statement, Leonardo put the pieces into a pot and added caustic soda, a substance used to make soap, and began stirring the mixture until the pieces dissolved. When they did, she poured the dark mush into several buckets and dumped them into a nearby septic tank. She then let the blood coagulate, dried it in the oven, ground it up, and mixed it with some flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, adding a bit of margarine and making some tasty tea cakes. She served her baked goods to the ladies who came to visit her, as well as Giuseppe and herself. According to some sources, she then collected Faustina's life insurance policy as payment for her services. The next sacrifice was Francesca Suave, whom Leonardo claimed to find a job for at a school for girls in Piacenza. Just like the victim before her, Francesca was told to write up some letters beforehand to quell any worry when she disappeared suddenly. She came to visit on September 5th, 1940, just before making her journey and, like Faustina, accepted a glass of wine from the woman whom she trusted with her future. After making some tea cakes from Francesca's body, Leonardo obtained the money for her services. Leonardo's third and final victim was a woman named Virginia Cacioppo, with whom Leonardo had promised a job as a secretary for a mysterious impresario in Florence. Letters were written, secrets were kept, wine was given on September 30th, 1940, and the axe was swung. The only difference between Virginia's murder and the others was her body's disposal. 
Instead of making just the tea cakes with her blood, disposing of the rest in the septic tank, Leonardo claimed that she melted down her body parts, added a bottle of cologne for smell, and proceeded to make the, quote, most acceptable creamy soap, giving bars to neighbors and friends as gifts. And again, according to Leonardo's own account, her cakes tasted the best, remarking how the woman was really sweet. Getting her sacrifice and her payment, Leonardo continued on with her life, believing she had once again committed the perfect murder. But something was different about Virginia's disappearance. While the other two women only had a few relatives to strike up concern, Virginia had a very persistent sister-in-law who grew so worried she reported Virginia missing to the police. It wasn't long before they were knocking on Leonardo's door, handcuffs at the ready. At first, Leonardo stuck to her innocence. That was until police mentioned their suspicion that her son, Giuseppe, might be involved. Horrified, she confessed to the murder in excruciating detail. At her trial, Leonardo remained completely unrepentant, going as far as to correct the official account while on stand. She was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years in prison with an added three years in a criminal asylum just as the fortune teller had predicted. On October 15, 1970, Leonardo Cianciulli died of cerebral apoplexy while still inside of the asylum. She was 79 years old. While her body was returned to her family for burial, the artifacts from her crime, including the pot in which she boiled her victims inside of, were donated to the Criminology Museum in Rome, where they remain on display along with her collection of axes to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.